bidding farewell to Jalen Smith, the former 10th overall pick, will not have his option picked up for year three by the Phoenix Suns. We have more evidence that Devin Booker pushing the pace and having the ball in his hands is a good thing for the Suns. We'll dive into that and some quick thoughts on the Pelicans game on Tuesday night. All of that coming up right away on Locked on Suns. Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, credentialed media member covering the Suns the past five seasons. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single morning. And you can follow us, subscribe to us on YouTube, Locked On Suns YouTube channel. If you do not already, we are slowly making... I'm going to have another giveaway soon, actually. A purple towel from the home opener that I have still not uh, washed in the laundry. But it will be there, and I think I'll do it at 500 subscribers, so get in if you haven't already. Of course, we're available as well on all audio platforms. So, what are you doing? If you found us, lock in, subscribe, follow, and get into it. Okay, as I said, we're starting today with Jalen Smith. The news coming down early today, deadline day for rookie options that the Suns will not be picking up the rookie, uh, the, the second-year big man's third-year option. So most of the time, players on rookie contracts, their first two are guaranteed. Year three must be uh, picked up as a team option. Year four must be picked up as a team option. And uh, year three didn't even make the cut here for sticks. And all of that coming off of a game where he finally cracked the rotation. Of course, I'm sure the Suns knew at that time that he would not be long for this roster. Maybe I got a little bit too excited. I don't know, but that is the gist of it. So what happens now is the Suns do not have Jalen Smith's $4.7, I believe, million dollar contract on the books for next season. Um, They also now have $4.5 million this year on the books as an expiring salary. And then Smith himself becomes an unrestricted free agent. So of course... Um, having that sort of expiring salary could be useful. We already knew that Jalen Smith was likely to be the piece to move in any sort of trade situation that came up at all this year, since he has a little bit of a bigger salary and is, you know, until today, you could have made the case was a, a, a prospect. I think having the team with this vote of no confidence on him makes him less appealing than he might have been otherwise, but Maybe the maybe the secret was out. The league did not see him in positive light anyway, so uh, it's hard to tell with that stuff. Of course, his his tenure here has been marked with bad luck, frankly. I mean, it's not his fault that he got picked early. It's not his fault he ended up in a situation where there was no playing time and also no G League team. It's not his fault that he got COVID and that he happened to be drafted during a season where there was a pandemic, which meant no training camp, really, and no summer league. And... That's where he ended up. I don't think he's done in the NBA. There were some, you know, I was going back and forth with a few people on Twitter who said he's a bust. He's done. It's not going to happen. He's not an NBA player. He'll be gone in, you know, the next couple of years. He'll never be in the NBA after that. I don't agree. I mean, I feel like we would have said the same thing about Marquise Chris, and he's turned himself into a player on a team that asks quite a bit out of their big men. So I I, I think it's way too early to say that about Jalen Smith. 
If we can say anything about him, he plays hard and he plays with energy and he is a pretty hard worker from everybody's words and and impressions throughout his time in Phoenix. So that's the Jalen Smith side and sort of the semantics of the decision. The thing that I want to basically say my piece about here is there, there, there was this, it seemed to be that there was a sense of relief among Suns fans or sort of understanding and I just want to, because like, and I think Gerald Bourget, who I obviously have a ton of respect for and mostly see eye to eye with about a lot of this stuff, wrote at PHNX a piece saying, you know, the Suns are are basically avoiding the the sunk cost fallacy, the idea that because we've invested in something already, we need to continue to invest. I tend to agree. I mean, at the end of the day, this is probably a player who they've seen. I mean, it is a player. They've seen more of more of Jalen Smith than anybody else. So yeah, what we might've seen in summer league and, and the bubble, the G league bubble last year, and maybe bits and pieces of, of game time here and there might be enough to say, huh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a player in there. And that's obviously the perspective that I'm coming at it from, but the Suns have seen him in practice and camp and all this for much, much longer. Monty pointed very quickly today to an example of a point in the game on uh, Saturday in that win where despite having the block on Rubio, a nice flashy defensive play, that Smith was still demonstrating that he doesn't quite understand the principles of this offense. So I get that. And I get the idea that investing more into this player, whether that's a roster spot, practice time, etc., may not be what is smart for, for you as a team. I don't think the money is the issue. I don't feel like, I mean, the Suns aren't going to have cap space next summer anyway, and paying him a little less than $5 million at the end of the day, it's just money. You're not getting any sort of flexibility by getting rid of him. So I don't know what the sunk cost would have, uh, by getting rid of that sunk cost, what you're solving or what you're achieving or allowing for yourself. I don't think there's really anything there. So with that all said, and because we haven't seen him flash as a player, it seemed like there was sort of this idea among fans, at least online. I know that's not who speaks for everybody is is people on Twitter, but um, it felt like there was a lot of reaction of like a sigh of relief or like, yeah, move on. You know, it is what it is, but it doesn't matter. And I guess I just want to, in some ways, harp on the same things I've been harping on it and just... explain that this is an example of of how these types of decisions come back to bite you. That pick was a reach from the moment that they made the pick. And I'm not going to pretend to be a draft expert. There's people far smarter than me. Chad Ford, who does a show on our podcast network and has been in the draft stuff for a long, long time. Sam Vecini, Jeremy Wu, these people who are experts at The Athletic and Sports Illustrated and, and ESPN in the case of Chad Ford all agreed this was way too high for this player. And so it was... It was a puzzling and reach of a pick right away, and they did not invest everything that they possibly could have into developing him. I just can't, you can't make the case to me that that's true. I get that, of course, you're going to, you're not going to intentionally play Smith over like Jay Crowder so you can develop Jalen Smith. But my point is, you get rid of your G League team, you, you know, don't give players opportunities in summer league to have a real roster around them in terms of a point guard to set Smith up and things like that. And these are the types of ways in which it shows up. So picking a player ahead of where they are and then not doing everything in your power to make that player look better, I get at the end of the day, players are who they are. You can't 
magic together a career because you really want it as a franchise. I get that. I'm not here saying that this was some, some sort of diamond in the rough that they screwed up here. It, it, it was a reach. So this is a player that they had their work cut out for them with from day one. But you have to have a plan if you're going to do something like that. And it feels like they're giving up on that plan right away. So that's my point. And if you add into that the fact that by trading away the pick in this year's draft for Landry Shamit, they don't have their pick in all likelihood in this upcoming year. You are putting a lot of pressure on the young players already in this roster, already on this roster. You have Landry Shamit locked in. You have Mikhail Bridges locked in. Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, all these young guys continuing to get better. We all think they will. They probably, that is what we should expect of them is that they'll continue to get better and they'll be the core of this team for a long, long time. But you look around the NBA and it's not just the great teams that have this sterling track record. We think of the Raptors and teams like that who somehow always have great players in the work, in the wings behind their stars, but it's also the Nets and the Lakers. These teams we don't think of that way. I mean, look, the Lakers were able to get rid of some of their depth this season because they have a Taylor Horton Tucker right behind those guys. And yeah, some of that is they're able to get these second rounders and things like that. Maybe the Nets are the same way. But you add the heat to that. The Heat always have these role players because they have an eye for who's going to fit. They have an eye for talent and they put the resources into developing those players. And I think that the Suns have established for a while now that that infrastructure and that sort of behind the scenes developmental mindset, it takes a long time to develop it. So I'm not going to sit here and criticize with the incredible track record they have of developing these star level players, but that doesn't just last forever out of sheer luck. This is demonstrating that you have to continue to invest in these things. So the sigh of relief or sort of the nodding of approval that I saw from Suns fans, it doesn't make sense to me. I think you guys got to be a little bit more like I get hard on them. I don't know if that's the right thing, but like you have to be a little bit, expect a little bit more. And, and this is the type of move that you got to at least get something out of. It's your last lottery pick for a very long time. We know the players that were drafted around Jalen Smith. So for all of that, with all of that said, I just think this was a mistake and it's one that they are going to have to, you know, make some smart moves on the margins to overcome, to continue to get young, deep talent into this building and actually, you know, have a roster going forward that's not just this star core, but actually something else. And you think past Chris Paul, I mean, these are the moves you got to get something out of. And from now 2020, 2021 and 2022, you're looking at a draft at a a track record in the draft where you might get zero players out of that except for Landry Shamit, who's expensive already. So you don't get the benefit of playing, having a young player in that way. He's already being paid what he's worth, if not more right now. So long way of saying that this is something that is the sort of chickens coming to roost or whatever that phrase, roosters coming to what who roosts? It's those animals coming home to roost in a way that could really make a difference in terms of depth and and for you know future progress of the roster. So good, you know, goodbye to the Jalen Smith era. We'll see if he becomes a trade piece. We'll see if they use that expiring salary. I would not imagine that they put too much time and energy into having him play and be a part of this rotation for the foreseeable future. And maybe during this DeAndre Ayton injury situation, there will be a little bit of need for that. But 
this is somebody that I think will just fade into the periphery of the Suns' plans, and we won't hear a lot about Jalen Smith because they're saying goodbye to that opportunity. Okay, Devin Booker as a ball handler, the return of point book in some ways. I want to talk about that, really break it down in depth. First, though, quick word from Prize Picks. Prize Picks is awesome, guys. You are picking a basically a fantasy lineup against the spread. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. We love it at the po- Locked On Podcast Network. We know you will love it as well. The best. NBA Daily Fantasy prop game on the market. I think that's easily fair to say. Prize Picks offers any prop that you can think of from yardage to touchdowns to points to rebounds, all of that normal stuff across all sports. And you're picking two to five players and matching those players with an over-under on their projections so you can win up to 10 times on per entry. It's you versus those projected numbers. It is not you versus a lineup. It is not for you versus an opponent, a pool, any of that. You are picking five, two to five players over on points, under on points, under on rebounds, and go down the line through those five players. So all of our listeners who use the promo code NBA will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Again, that's promo code NBA. So use the award-winning prize picks app on either the App Store or the Google Play Store. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. They have safe and fast withdrawals. So don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com or that award-winning app. Use the promo code NBA and enjoy. Picks daily fantasy made easy. Big shout out to our man, Dom Tesoriero, longtime listener, mailbag question giver, and uh, son's follow on Twitter. He has been sort of under the radar looking at this stuff. Um, so October 28th, which was the, what game was that? The Kings game. Booker scored or assisted on 50 of 107 points from just 57 touches. So that's just below a point per possession. On Saturday, Cavs, 46 of the 101 points that the Suns scored as a team came from Booker either scoring or assisting, and that was on 64 touches. So slightly worse, but... Again, almost a point per possession. Dom went on to say, anything above 0.6 or so for a player in a non-spot-up role is elite. So anybody who has legitimate on-ball opportunities is very, very good to have 0.6 points per possession or uh, points per touch, I'm sorry, not points per possession, points per touch on um, in a game. So... Booker, 0.7, 0.9, 0.7. He's doing it. He is here. Point Book is back. We don't realize it, but uh, maybe we do. I mean, I've been talking about it a little bit, but I, it's definitely surprising to see it in that um, big of a discrepancy. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into the numbers because the big time, the big, you know, whole numbers, round numbers back this up as well. Booker, last season, 20 percent assist rate something we talked a lot about during the offseason can he get that that number back up I made the argument he needed to he needed to be a more dynamic and feared I guess you could say offensive player for the Suns offense to be able to be more suited for the playoffs you just need a true number one a everything all everything I can run an offense and get a great shot every single time type of player to win in the postseason in the NBA you need one 
Booker was the best shot at being one, and a lot of that had to do with his assist rate going up. This year, it is at 30.2. Again, only through five games, but it is 164 minutes, and the results have been great because the times in with in which Devin Booker has operated with the ball in his hands have been some of the best moments of the season. We saw it in that in that Cavs game in a lot of stretches, especially in transition, and then we of course saw it in that fourth quarter, especially in crunch time against the Kings when the Suns made their comeback from double digits down to uh, tying the game, and then Harrison Barnes hits his miracle shot to win it. But that stretch was all with Booker having the ball in his hands. He also is, I think, the lowest in his career. It's a 9% turnover rate. I have to think that's the best that we've ever seen out of him. If this website will allow me to scroll down, I can let you know 9% is by far the lowest. I mean, that's elite, elite stuff when you're really getting down to it. Do I expect that to really last? No, I, I don't. I can't, I can't in good conscience tell you that that's going to continue. But the point is that if he can be more of a playmaker, be more efficient when the ball is in his hands, his shooting efficiency is going to go up. He's at like a 51% true shooting right now. That's nowhere near where he's going to finish the season. He's been at or around 60 for about three seasons now. He was at 62 his first season with Ricky Rubio. He was at 59 last year. So the efficiency is absolutely going to go up. But he is in the 33rd, the, sorry, the 98th percentile in usage right now and the 98th percentile in assist rate among wings per cleaning the glass. So the, the overall amount that he is dominating the ball is elite if his efficiency comes up that is where you're really starting to talk about a player who can start to get MVP votes who is more of a shoe-in for all-star games and that type of thing so I guess the question is will it continue what I think makes me feel pretty optimistic is you go back to that Ricky Rubio season and what I really remember a lot of those nights there would be nights where these guys would combine for you know, 20 plus assists and five or fewer turnovers as a duo, Booker and Rubio. And what I really remember from those games is how little you noticed it. It's not like you were watching these games feeling like, you know, these guys are a record-breaking playmaking duo by any means. It was very within the flow of the offense. And if that part can continue to be true, because I think you could say the same. I mean, the fourth quarter against the Kings was like, it was very it was in the spotlight because it was a comeback. It was a game that they obviously should have won. It was at home, all this different stuff. But for the most part, it's within the flow of the offense. It's Booker, you know, coming off of a screen and, you know, going into a quick pick and roll and making the right play. He's had a number of incredible lob attempts, lob finishes, lob connections with DeAndre Ayton. Those two have always had incredible chemistry. They really tapped into that in the playoffs last season as an option for them. That sort of Booker getting to the mid-range, the the free throw line area, and teams think he's going to score, and he just, that pass is right there. He's always been an amazing elite transition scorer, both in terms of the data and the efficiency numbers showing us that, and obviously dating back to his rookie season, basically, he's been the, the purveyor of really spectacular highlight plays in that sort of situation. So these are all these sort of tiny ways in which Booker can operate as a playmaker without doing the really truly point book stuff that I think we all agree he'd be better not doing, which is sort of the, 
you know, Earl Watson or Igor Kokoshkov era of pounding the ball, running a high pick and roll. He was extremely turnover prone at that point in his career. So that's not going to be how Monty Williams runs this thing. That's not how Devin Booker is going to ever want to operate. He has the efficiency and the right play in mind at all times too. This is not a coaching staff thing. So this is not going to go back to those old days of how he played. And it really is already, I mean, we don't even have to wonder. It's already showing that it can work in a way that's natural and organic, provided that you can still get the best version of Chris Paul. And I want to remind people too, game one in the conference finals, um, game, I believe it was four against the Bucks when Book scored 40. Maybe it was five. Um... Mind you, I totally understand that was a game where you could make the case that the Bucks' strategy worked. Book had, I think, one assist and zero rebounds. He was a Allen Iverson-esque box score filler, and I don't know if that was for the best, but you look at that game, Chris Paul had five turnovers and shot worse than 50% from the field. My point is, maybe the Suns are obviously better when both Booker and Paul are going, and maybe you could still say the Suns are better when Chris Paul is at his absolute best and dominating the ball the way that he does, because Booker is still a player who can play off of that and still be pretty darn incredible. He was an all-star last year, even with that low assist rate and some odd changes in how he was getting and scoring the ball. So that, that, that balance, maybe you could say, is still going to drift that direction. But I think you can make the case Devin Booker is better when he has the ball in his hands more. And I think that should at least show the Suns that they might want to see about getting that to be more of what's going on and find out a way to make the team better when that's happening. We've already seen it happening early on in this season and working early on in this season. And I think the Suns need to continue to explore it. I think Book came into the season knowing that. Monty, Chris, these guys are smart enough to know that that's the next step for this offense, and we're already seeing it pay off in the first five games. So, could happen as soon as Tuesday night against the Pelicans. Maybe there's a little bit more in store. Maybe we get a a double-double from Devin Booker or something special like that. So, we'll get into that game. Quick thoughts there in just one second. First, though, a quick word from Shopify. I've already heard that people are diving into the holiday shopping early, so... I'm sure I'll be jumping into Shopify. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify. I don't know, what's, what should the sound be? What, what sound does the computer make? Doo-doom. The all-in-one commerce, commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business. Upstarts, spot, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere using those resources. Synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility and Shopify helps you make your entrepreneurial dreams come true. Keep up with the demand this holiday season like over 1.7 million businesses already have from first sale to full scale, reaching customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps. Shopify allows you to gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. Here's what you're going to do. This sounds like something you could use. I know a lot of people have tried new stuff during the pandemic, just new little projects, new little business ideas just for yourself, but maybe it can be even bigger. So go to shopify.com slash locked on NBA. That's all lowercase, 
all lowercase, locked on NBA for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today by going to shopify.com. Again, that's slash locked on NBA right now. Shopify.com slash locked on NBA. Let's close out the show. A lot of deep dive stuff here in the first two segments I'm realizing. So I kind of feel like I should keep it light. Unfortunately, the Pelicans don't allow me to. Um, our guy, Willie Green, is, I think it's safe to say, going through it right now over there. I think they are 1-7, 1-6, something like that. Zion Williamson, it was announced today by the team that he will get scans again in three weeks. He's kind of doing solo on-court work right now, but he will get a scan in three weeks. And then from there, it will be determined when and if he can return to practice and then eventually game so you know Christmas time maybe is when we're talking about this guy being back on the floor I mean in in one case it's a little makes for some crappy national tv games as we saw at times last year when the Pel when the NBA went all in on the Pels and Zion was missing uh it's a you know I love watching Brandon Ingram as much as the next guy but the team has not been good to start the year because they don't have their best player they will not have him against um the Suns on Tuesday night here Brandon Ingram is questionable as well. I believe he missed his their last game himself. So Willie Green, his first go-round as a coach, is leaves a lot to be desired. And I think to me, where I look for this game is, can the transition defense continue to be shored up? The Suns did a lot better job. I talked about that a lot on Monday's show of controlling the pace themselves and allowing themselves to dictate, you know, running, getting their defense set when they needed it to, but also not being afraid to get out and push a little bit and make the other team uncomfortable. All that stuff's going to continue to be important because bad teams, young teams, when they want to score, they just start running. That's the easiest foolproof way to score when you don't have your talent on the floor with you. So that might be something to continue to watch. And I also just think like the Suns could use a game where they just absolutely dominate. We haven't seen that. They they made the Cavs game close. I mean, the Lakers game, I just don't trust that because they followed it up with getting smoked by Portland, and that Lakers team is nobody's idea of special right now. So in its own way, I, I think that one's kind of weird. You want to look at a bad team, a struggling team, a team without its best players at home, which is another difference between the, this and the Lakers game, and just size that opponent up and say, nah, this will be over by the fourth quarter. We're, we're, we're resting Devin Booker the last 12 minutes of this game. And, and that's what I think this game has the potential to become. So I think you got to just hope that that's what happens. You'd like to see Booker continue to have the ball in his hands. You'd like to see a guy like Landry Shamit potentially heat up. Cameron Johnson heat up. Jay Crowder. You know, that's probably the best case scenario in this game is that Booker and Paul continue to split these playmaking duties and get some comfort there. They're able to spray the ball around, generate a lot of open threes, create a big lead early, and get some of these guys like Johnson, Crowder, and Shamit cooking in a way that they haven't been. The last thing to keep an eye on here, DeAndre Ayton is questionable for the game with a right knee contusion. I predicted slash just sort of read the obvious in this situation, which is that there's no need to push this, especially now that we know, I mean, Zion wasn't going to play in this game, but now that Ingram is is not looking super likely and this team is just struggling so badly, there's no need to put your, you know, your starting center, one of your best players out there with an injury. So I would lean toward him not playing. To me, that would mean, again, JaVale McGee, 
Frank Kaminsky as the backup. You probably do get a little bit more of Jalen Smith just to have some size out there. Maybe they want to continue to play him while the opportunities allow so that they can make that trade value look a little better. Um, But that's really where I'm at. This game has the potential to be sort of a get right game for the Suns, a real offensive explosion that we haven't seen yet, and an opportunity for DeAndre Ayton to rest, campaign, not on the injury report as a possibility to play. He's still out. Wednesday would be one week for him. So that's sort of the point in time when I think you start to wonder, does he play Thursday? Does he play Saturday against Atlanta? Those are really the games where you'd start to look. But this this game is a nice, easy, cushion game, and they should not have any trouble. So that's that, that, that's not exactly expert analysis, but that should be the goal tonight is to just uh, really dominate it and, and get back on track. So enjoy the game. I will be at it in person. If you are as well and you see me running around in, a, in, in nicer clothes than everybody else with a tag around my neck that says media, say hello. I always like when I do get to... Uh, see some fans and things like that at the games. That's always fun. So hopefully you're back enjoying the arena again, enjoying real games in person. And I can't wait to talk to you about it right after the buzzer. So talk to you then.